episode 201 of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. On cue, my cat Leo walks into the studio. So you may hear some meowing in the background. Um, really thankful and appreciate you being here today. And truthfully, I don't even know where to begin. I, I've really been ruminating a lot over the last week about the look of the world. And it's been very challenging for me to resist pressing record, posting a comment, or, or talking about what I see happening in the world, because the news is moving so fast. I'm trying to articulate my thoughts on what I see and what I feel, and it's so challenging to make sense of it all. But I think, and, and I'm going to try and touch on Joe Rogan and Spotify and Neil Young and, and health. There's a lot of layers here in my head. This is the first episode where I thought about actually writing down some notes because um, I'm going to try and touch on all the things that I'm thinking about. My brain may forget a few things, but I'm going to begin by talking about you know my reality Asher, my last guest, said his truth versus the world of know-it-alls. We have such a large group of almost like ringleaders, cult leaders, who are incapable of hearing other perspectives, are incapable of believing that one could question what's going on with our society. Even with this John Hopkins report that came out saying that the lockdowns have proven to be irrelevant in, in lowering death counts and the spread. And, and even though the counts or even though masks have been known for a long time to be of no use, we still have leaders and teachers and politicians promulgating their use. And I believe it's because in the world of know-it-alls, they can't apologize or admit that maybe they did something wrong or, or had a wrong suggestion. Um, you know, even just touching on Whoopi Goldberg very briefly, this wasn't my intention, but, you know, she went on Stephen Colbert after saying these insidious things about um, the Holocaust. And she kept saying, and I found this so interesting, she kept saying, I'm incredibly hurt. Or, or no, I'm sorry. She said, I'm incredibly upset at what I said and, and the reaction that people have had upon my upon hearing my words on the view she kept saying i'm upset she never said i'm sorry she never said those words if you come across somebody who gives you that know-it-all tendency i think you should be weary because i don't think we ever really know what's going on in this this chaotic world this world that i don't even recognize anymore I'm out golfing a few days ago, and I'm golfing with three people, golfing outdoors, and they're all wearing masks. I, I just, I can't, I think this comes back to something that I read. You can get anybody to do just about anything through fear. We have been constantly bombarded with reasons to be scared. And, and I will share some personal stories about why I 
am untrustworthy of the medical profession. Of course, I say that knowing that they're fantastic doctors. And of course, there are some procedures that have to be done by a doctor, a medically trained physician. But when it comes to these blanket statements and, and suggestions that everybody should do this one thing, um, not talking about the whole body, the mental, what you eat, it's just you know pills, vaccines, shots, to fix your malady. Everything, there's a consequence to everything. I was watching HGTV, Love It or List It, and I saw a commercial for a, a new vaccine for pneumonia, some new type of pneumonia. And instantly I started thinking to myself, huh, have they sort of like, is now the perfect time to, to run ads for more vaccines? Because people are, have become so comfortable taking vaccines. Well, now's the time to suggest that they take others. I have a friend who uh, has a son who's in his mid-20s, thin, fantastic health, got two shots, got the booster, so three shots, and still got COVID. And he ended up having very minimal symptoms. And her response was, well, it's because he had three shots. That's why he had minimal symptoms. I didn't say this, but of course I'm thinking maybe he had minimal symptoms because he's in good health and there was absolutely no reason to get all those shots. It's, it's very unusual the way that we have dealt with health the last couple of years. You know, I'm just going to tell my personal story right now and I'll get into what I was going to talk about uh, later. So you may know I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 12. It's an autoimmune disease. And looking back, you know, I'm obviously much older now, but I remember vividly that the solutions to get me through all of my symptoms um, was just to take pills, aspirin, cortisone, prednisone, Plaquenil, uh, methotrexate, which was a really toxic, which was a really toxic med, often used for cancer patients. Gold, Voltaren. I mean, clearly, I had something going on because my wrists were damaged a lot. I, I barely, I have very little mobility in my wrists. So whenever I had a flare-up in my wrists, I would get more cortisone shots in my wrists. And so this went on for three, four years. And then finally, when I turned about 17, um, my symptoms started to go away. And then the disease came back again when I was 24. It wasn't as bad, but I had to go on a lot of med medication. But as I look back, first to those early years when I was 12 to 17, there was never a discussion from anybody about my mental health, about what I was eating, about anxiety. It was just take these pills and rely on these pills. And all of these pills, they may lower the uh, symptoms, but they all have side effects. There's, there's a side effect to every medication. And people don't want to talk about that. I mean, don't you want to be, into, be in a place where you've tried everything natural before you rely on a pill? So interestingly, when I was 24 and I was in L.A., and I start having symptoms again. I went to a rheumatologist. And this was the first time 
anybody suggested this to me. He said, have you thought about going to therapy? Because you seem really anxious. And of course, I don't remember my reaction, but um, I went to therapy. I started going within a couple months. I started. Go- he, he suggested I go to a yoga teacher. And I think over that six to 12 month period, because I had to go home and then I came back to LA, I said to myself, I am not going to rely on pharmaceuticals to get me through my ailments. I am going to rely on my own knowledge, uh, homeopathic medication or medicine, acupuncture, chiropractic medicine, swimming. I'm going to be active every day. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to do yoga. And look, this, this certainly was one of the most challenging parts of my life, trying to figure out what the hell was wrong, wrong with me. And I know I had this diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, but I got the sense there was a lot more going on mentally. And it was rearing its ugly head on my physical body. But there was a lot of mental anxiety and issues um, going on that were left untreated. And I think over that five to 10 year period from like 24 to 35, I was all in and, and determined to not rely on medicine or you know, not rely on pharmaceuticals and, and relying on my rheumatologist. I was also diagnosed with this is running running list here of something called eosinophilic esophagitis. And eosinophils are in your esophagus, obviously. And they're cells that multiply. If when they're in balance, you you know, the food goes down your system well and properly. But it's also an autoimmune disease and it's allergy-related, where if you're eating the wrong types of foods, I'm, a, I'm allergic to carrots, uh, cauliflower, um, grapefruit, tomato sauce. And this is this, it's a new condition that's come out the last 10 years. A lot of people just thought it was um, you know, acid reflux, because that can be one of the symptoms. But food will actually get stuck at the bottom of your esophagus, and you, you're choking, and, and it's not until the eosinophils slowly uh, go away and dissipate that the food can finally go down into the stomach and it's it's terrible and this this was going on a, a, you know a couple years where food was getting stuck and all the doctors thought that um, you know it was just acid reflux well I went to another doctor and, and she said you know we, we need to go down there and check it out so I was diagnosed with eosinophilic esophagitis the problem is is that there's only one medication on the market right now that treats it, but it doesn't really completely treat it because your body has this way of getting used to medication. And after a while, uh, your system ultimately becomes um, misaligned and you can't become too dependent on a pill to regulate the acidity in your stomach. So these acid blockers, beta blockers like Asafex and Nexium, they're the only treatment. And if they don't work, then they pump steroids into your esophagus. And if that doesn't work, then they have to go down and use a instrument to enlarge the space at the bottom of your esophagus. 
I was diagnosed with this like four years ago. So I'm, of course, I was encouraged that there was a diagnosis, but also incredibly discouraged because I don't like relying on medication. So I went to the homeopathic pharmacy, or I don't like relying on pharmaceuticals. So I went to the homeopathic pharmacy about, this was three years ago, and she gave me different um, treatments from licorice to some sort of um, uh, acid and digestive enzymes and something else. Um, I think actually like an antihistamine because what I have is also uh, allergy related. It started to work for a few weeks, but then I started having the same symptoms over and over again. It, it sort of became, I started to feel like there was nothing I could do and that I had to rely on ass effects for the rest of my life to keep this, um, this condition at bay. So I started, but then, so this has gone on for about a year or two and I do my best to try You know, they want me to take the medication every day, but I try to maybe take it twice a week, three times a week. But the problem is if I take it once or twice a week, I start to get the symptoms and then the uh, food gets stuck and it's terrible and it's really uncomfortable. I started going online a couple months ago and started reading about some of these long-term effects of these beta blockers, and they're not very good. You know, I've been taking them now for over five years. Um, I went to the homeopathic pharmacy again in Santa Monica just three weeks ago, and I told her my situation, my predicament, and I said, I, I am, you know, I'm here I am being so anti-pharmaceuticals, and yet I'm still stuck on a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical medication. And so I tell her my issues, tell her what's going on, and she's completely aware of eosinophilic esophagitis because she's, you know, she says there's so many people that come in daily talking about all their digestive issues. So she gives me licorice root, an antihistamine, and a different type of digestive enzyme. Of course, I'm forgetting the name of it, but if you're really interested, uh, definitely message me on Instagram and I can get you the information. And so I start taking it three weeks ago, and I haven't taken an Asifex pill in three weeks. I have not experienced one symptom I think I had one moment of like the food kind of almost felt like it was getting a little stuck, but then it went down after having some water, but nothing. Knock on wood, of course, here. And I tell you this story because I don't think the world out there wants you to know about other alternatives other than prescription meds and these shots. They don't want you to do your own research because then they think that, you know, you're going to turn into some sort of wacko or you're, you know, you're researching the fringe part of the web. There are treatments out there that will get you better and are healthier and better for your system than what the pharmaceutical companies are pumping at you every single day on, you know, nightly news, the advertisements, this whole thing that's gone on the last two years has really been disturbing. And when I see what, you know, the, the hate that Joe is getting, the canceling that he's getting, and, and it's interesting, this goes back to a podcast I recorded, I think like two, two podcasts ago, where I talk about Dr. Malone. And I became very curious to see what is our cultural response going to be? After he had Malone on, I thought, 
huh, it's interesting. Maybe the screws are going to loosen a little bit because within a few days of, of those podcasts, you see the CDC director coming on television and saying, oh, you know, the 850,000 people or so that, that died from COVID, actually, 40% of them died with COVID, then 60% of them died from COVID. And then, you know, the John Hopkins report comes out saying the mandates and the lockdowns did virtually nothing to slow the spread or to prevent death. And then I start seeing other countries are lifting their lockdowns. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe we're going to have some open discussion about what Dr. Malone said and what Dr. McCullough said. And maybe it's going to sort of wake people up. Clearly, there is a malicious push to cancel Joe, get him taken off Spotify, and this is true evil. And the sick irony here is, you know, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell are getting applauded for demanding their music be taken off Spotify. Neil always hated Spotify. Spotify is also just, has their hands just as dirty. They have truly uprooted and ruined the financial aspect of the music industry. It is a disgrace what Spotify has done to the quality of music and the way music is paid out to artists. So Neil Young doesn't like Spotify. He never liked Spotify. He actually tried to create a music service to combat Spotify because he hates what Spotify is doing to the quality of music. So he was dying to get off of Spotify, but he now looks like a hero, which is so sickening to me. And then Joni Mitchell jumps on board. So this goes back to my original point of know-it-alls. Instead of listening to what Joe is talking about, instead of being open to the possibility that there might be some nefarious intentions out there, that there's some sort of evil out there, we just want to shut them down. The know-it-alls want to shut them down. I want to read a poem to you. Uh, Zoe, thanks for sending this to me. It's from Mary Oliver. By the way, I'm going to end the show by reading a poem that I wrote a few days ago. Stick with me here. This is going to be a little bit longer podcast, but um, I think... I think it's worthwhile. I hope you feel that way as well. Uh, and, and it's interesting. I know that I am dealing with the culture that has miserable attention spans. It's very possible you're listening to this podcast right now while watching television, while checking your email. So that's part of the problem. We are living in a bizarre world where creators are aware of this idea, or maybe they're not, but I, I certainly am, that most people aren't paying attention. So they create something that is quicker, faster. When I listen to like Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens and Don Lemon and all these people on television, um, I can't believe how fast they talk. And I think it's because they're told that people aren't paying attention. If you don't talk fast, people have moved on. It's, it's also part of the reason where the, the, you know, the news is moving so quickly and everybody's just making opinions and judgments. So you have the know-it-alls and then you have this bizarre world where just information's moving so fast, which is why I took the last week to really think about what I want to say, 
But by the time I say what I want to say here, it's like people have already moved on. It's, it's very strange. But back to my point here about the poem. Uh, this is from Mary Oliver. Truly, we live with mysteries too marvelous to understand. How grass can be nourishing to the mouths of the lambs. How rivers and stones are forever in allegiance with gravity while we ourselves dream of rising. How two hands touch and the bonds will never be broken. How people come from delight or the scars of damage to the comfort of a poem. Let me keep my distance always from those who think they have the answers. Let me keep company always with those who say, look, and laugh in astonishment and bow their heads. I think also, my last point here about pharmaceutical companies, I just finished watching Dope Sick on Hulu with Michael Keaton. And it talks about, um, gosh, what's the company called? I'm suddenly forgetting, but it's the Sacklers, Purdue Pharma. And their manipulation to get people hooked on OxyContin. And it's so eye-opening and so disturbing and the malfeasance that go, that went on with the FDA, uh, big pharma. You know, people talk about this, this these words, great reset, and, and that can sound very conspiratorial. You know, when the television came out, that was a reset. When the smartphone came out, that was a reset. And this pandemic is a reset. It's It's completely rewiring our culture's brains, uh, our value system. There's an opioid pandemic going on right now that we're ignoring. There's a depression and suicide pandemic going on right now that we're ignoring. People are so hooked on their phones and watching reality TV for like 40, 50 hours a week that they don't give a fuck about anything else. That is a pandemic. And this, this pandemic, I don't mean to belittle it, but isn't it interesting that it's mostly affecting people with four or five comorbidities, mostly people that are overweight, mostly people that are over the age of 75 or 80? I mean, if this were this disastrous pandemic, wouldn't it be affecting everybody, no matter what state they're in? Is that disrespectful or, or insensitive of me to think that way? I do want to play a powerful clip of the UFC president, Dana White, when he's asked about the 200 doctors, quote-unquote doctors, demanding Spotify censor Joe Rogan. Are you, are you surprised at the backlash that people don't even want to allow you to discuss options and pretreatment? It's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's one of the craziest things that I've ever witnessed in my life, you know? And you're, we're, we're talk, I'm not talking about... Um, experimental drugs or things that you said this stuff's been around and they got the ivermectin the you're guy a doctor won, the guy won the nobel peace prize you're a doctor huh you're a doctor I'm no but there's plenty okay. of doctors there you go. that do uh here he comes <laughs> i just asked a question are you a doctor no but i but i but i took them and they both work for me so why shouldn't i be able to take them again or other people 
I won't answer. No, no, come on, dive in. We, we do have a but brain why shouldn't to we be able to take our own decisions. Right? You, you want to know what's scary? I bet I could get some fucking pain pills quicker than I could get monoclonal antibodies. No, not maybe. That's a fact. That's a fact. They fucking hand out pain pills like, the, like they're Tic Tacs. We sh- I just, I- I'm speechless when I listen to that clip. Absolutely, utterly speechless. And it's, it's interesting. I, I want to play a clip of, of Sam Harris in a moment, but I think about this, this idea of reality. You know, I remember two years ago being in Mexico on the beach in Tulum. This was America wasn't shut down yet. We literally arrived back home in America in LA, and then the shutdown happens like one week later. And so we're, you know, sort of reading in the newspaper about this pandemic that's in China and it's it's moving to the West and it's in Europe and then it's coming. It's oh hey Nelly, it's coming further west to America. Yeah, I know Nelly. It's funny, but I remember sort of reading a little bit about it, but I didn't want to read too much about it because I didn't want it to ruin my vacation. And so I started to think, how often is our reality a reality thanks to the media, thanks to the newspapers? Like, are other people controlling your reality? Because when I was on that beach in Tulum having margaritas and having, you know, fish tacos... I wasn't in a pandemic. I I didn't even really think about a virus. I was just living on the beach, having a good time. Pat Sajak, of all people, um, posted this tweet, and I found this to be really um, relevant. One thing you notice when you put Twitter aside for a while and spend your time in real life is that those things that you thought everyone was talking about, almost no one is talking about. The, the politicians, the news media in the world, they want you to be terrified. They want nonstop chaos. They want unrest. But in, in your reality, if you don't turn the television on all day, if you don't turn on the news, if you don't open up Twitter, how is your reality? Is it actually pretty calm and, 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 and mellow and healthy? Do you feel good? Like, if, if this pandemic never made waves, if it never made its way into newspapers, the media, would it have just been, you know, just symptomatically like a cold or a flu? Would it have just, like the flu does every year, rear its ugly head on people that already are in bad health? Like, how often is your mind and your sense of your day-to-day life impacted and and affected by what you consume. I sort of touched on this, you know, a couple of weeks ago. You know, having your own thoughts. Are your thoughts your own or somebody else's? Is your reality yours or is it being created by what you read and consume or not even yeah, read in the newspaper or watch on Fox or CNN? I think I've gotten to this place. I used to be a big Sam Harris fan. He talks a lot about cults sometimes. And I know this, this, this could sound absolutely insane of me to say, but he had this question and answer episode. And Sam has this way of speaking 
very slowly, um, very monotone. And it's almost hypnotizing. Like he, he is a know-it-all. He, when you listen to him speak, I, I, he is a master with language. He's a master at communication and getting, I believe, all of his listeners to think and believe just like he thinks. It's interesting, Joe, when he speaks to people on the show, it's, it's, it's not, he is not telling people how to think. He's merely asking questions. And it's sort of like, let other people decide for themselves. Um, and, but, but then Sam, he speaks so slowly, and is, he's a master at, at using words that are so superfluous. <laughs> There's an example where it's almost like he's just, he knows that people are in awe or transfixed by somebody that's such a master with language. And so, I'm gonna, so somebody asked him about the pandemic, and I want to play you his answer. And we have to get our act together because this will not be the last pandemic. In fact, given how disruptive COVID has been, I would bet that the threat of bioterrorism has increased significantly. This is about the easiest way possible to disrupt a society. And if you're a nihilist, or you're insane, or you're a jihadist, or you're a fanatic of some other stripe, well then, bioterrorism just got its Super Bowl commercial. So getting better at responding to a pandemic, getting better at producing vaccines and getting people to actually take them, I consider that one of our most important tasks as a society at this point. I told you he can be very hypnotizing, but the point that I want to make here is after two years of this, he is saying the most salient point is to get vaccines and how we respond. I mean, I will agree with him about, I mean, the way that we've responded over the last two years is an abomination. It's a disgrace. But I, part of me, a little glass half full here, wants to think we've reacted this way because the Fauci's in the world know that our culture is in such bad health that this was their only option to scare people into getting a vaccine because if they don't, uh, we're going to even have more people that are dying because we naturally are such a bad, such an unhealthy society. And they know that. The other side of me thinks, no, the last two years of anything should be a wake-up call to get people to eat better, get their ass off the couch and stop watching you know, Netflix and reality TV all day and go for a walk, get some fresh air, be active, get a, a bike, get a, I don't know, join a gym. But no, that, that is not Sam's conclusion after the, after the last two years. The way to deal with this better is to do a better job at convincing people to get a vaccine. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous to me, but you can't question anything in the world of know-it-alls. You know, if you listen to Sam, he is convinced that's what you do. And, and, and no other suggestions, no other options should prevail.
When I saw Joe go onto IGTV and, and, you know, apologize and try to explain himself, there's something about what's going on that has made me feel like the courageousness of artistry is, is no longer valued. And also artists are scared out of their mind to speak their mind. And this is such a, I'll say the word dangerous, precarious, because if artists can't speak their mind, can't present um, new perspective, new ideas, then I think we are going to become more one-track minded. Um, we're going to be lobotomized. We're all going to think the same. And, and how boring is that? How uninspiring could that possibly be? Winston Marshall, he's a musician, he wrote on Substack, when artists become the censors. I just want to read this to you briefly, or at least a segment of it. He was, he was in the band Mumford and & Sons, um, and he got a lot of flack over a tweet. And I think he ultimately had to leave the band. Outliers on hot-button topics are notable by their scarcity. Those brave enough to peep over the parapet are attacked viciously not so much by the powers that be, but by their contemporaries. Criticism is, of course, fine, but attempts to deplatform have gone too far. Under this sort of pressure, who can be surprised that artists are acting less like artists, the way they imagine themselves anyway, and more like, well, Soviet drones? If artists at the top of their game face this kind of pressure, who can imagine what it's like for those who dare to think differently and have far fewer resources and far less security. There is, there is an often cited correlation between being creative and being liberal, anti-traditionalist, anti-authority. So it's hardly surprising that Soviet musicians opposed a system that was authoritarian and dogmatic. What is surprising is that their contemporary counterparts in the West today are queuing up to endorse and defend them. Through my own experience over the past year, I have observed two types of artists, those who tried to silence me for breaking ranks and the free thinkers who reached out to me privately in solidarity. I've been hopeful that if enough of the free thinkers could be nudged out of the shadows, the culture would change. That got a lot harder yesterday when the White House encouraged Spotify to take further action on Joe Rogan. And I want to read this. I'm going to read a couple tweets to you, and then I'll read my poem, and then I'll let you go. This is from Constantin Kissin. Reminder that the mainstream had no problem with Spotify hosting music made by pedophiles, podcasts hosted by convicted rapists and murderers, songs glorifying gang violence, etc. They don't care about morality. They care about narrative control and power. That's it. And this is from Jessie Sykes. I'm trying to get her on the show. I tried for years telling anyone who'd listen about the evils of Spotify but I've lost my breath. It's complex, because honestly, Google owns YouTube, 
Google paved the way for companies like Spotify to come in and shit on artists' copyrights, so it all kind of needs to come down. All the pipes are con- all the pipes are corrupted, and you know Rogan caving and apologizing. It's a bad look on our society. There is a certain bravado and confidence and uh, free speech, open mindedness that is that is trickling away. So I'm gonna. I was really inspired when I watched Joe on IGTV talking about. Um, you know, sharing his apology. So I, I did write a poem. It's on Medium. It's called A Soup Bowl of Joe in Fear. So I'll leave you with this. Poor Joe. What happened to the macho man? For the first time in a long time, you looked like a wuss. But that's what happens when the billionaires hold the strings, turning even the mighty Joe into a bowl of mushy, bland soup. Go back to MMA and comedy. No more physicians or experts. Stay in your lane, Joe, the safety first lane, where mediocrity breeds and billionaires rule the world. I saw you escape to IG to apologize with your tail between your legs. Someone must have told you to apologize. I didn't even recognize you. I thought you didn't give a fuck but I guess you crossed the invisible dotted line and committed a new crime. A 2022 crime where searching for truth is the greatest crime of all. Remember the truth? Me neither. It's been gone for a long time, evaporated into a phantasmagoric world of lies and misinformation. Remember, Joe, you're just a talk show host. All you should do is talk, talk, talk. You should know better than to ask questions. Questions are the crime. An insidious crime worse than murder. Curiosity kills. So shut up and obey and do as you're told. Since you like to talk, why don't you help us spread more fear? Fear is much sweeter than the truth. Tell your listeners to keep their masks on. Tell them to stay home. Grab a screen or two or three and tell them to watch more reality TV. BET, Bravo, MTV, the great anecdote for fear is mush. Useless piles of reality TV trash. Sapless minds can be polluted with fear like corn syrup sprinkled on a cupcake brain. It tastes so good, glued to the tube. Home of the petty drama, the addictive allure of catfights and meaningless drivel. Help us, Joe. Tell them to keep watching so we can turn more brains to mush. Gooey mush of useless information. Brain shrinking, free thinking dying. And don't forget about the fear. Please, Joe, maybe try another round of fear factor. You should be our new fear spokesperson. Like soft butter on burnt toast. You cross the line, Joe. Even Neil and Joni say so. The renegades of the 60s turned into weak-minded clowns of 2022. Neil doesn't even like Spotify, but who cares? He's just another virtue-signaling fool, brainwashed by fear. Oh look, Sharon Stone jumped on board the fear plane too. I guess she wants to feel important again. Except with her legs crossed and her mind warped, no one cares about Sharon anymore. 
Maybe try a sequel to Basic Instinct. Uncross those legs, pull out a knife, and sprinkle us with fear. Joe, help us create a new world. A world of one-note, one-track minds with no questions and no more curiosity. Robotic slaves infatuated with drivel and fame. No reason to sugarcoat the truth, Joe. Fear works. It burns like melted lava. Come join the club, Joe, and take a slurp of fear. Sprinkle on some spices, wear a mask, and do as you're told. Just slurp up the fear. So that was a poem I wrote, published it on Medium a few days ago. You can follow me over there. Really appreciate you listening to this longer podcast this week, but I had a lot on my mind, still trying to sort it all out. A lot I didn't touch on, but I'm sure I'll get back to it later this week. I have a great, wonderful podcast with Jilly Moon. She's a musician, singer here in LA. Still have to edit that, so I'll be editing that this week. If you want information on my new book coming out in the spring, you can certainly message me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn, and I'll give you some details. Because uh, you can't order a pre, you can order an advanced copy right now. Um, I have a new music video that's scheduled to hit YouTube next week. Um, new music coming out on Spotify in a couple weeks, a new remix. Um, any questions, please find me on Instagram at Eddie Cohn. Writing a review. Somebody wrote a fantastic review on iTunes this last week, so that is really helpful. Heading over to iTunes and write a review. You can share the show with your friends, subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. All of that is really helpful in getting this podcast heard in this oversaturated world of podcasts. And that's it. Appreciate you listening. Suggestion for this week, slow down. Slow down down. Be in control of your reality. If the news media and Instagram never even existed, imagine how much lighter, imagine how much more beautiful the world potentially could be. How much is Instagram and the news media impacting your reality? That's it, everybody. As always, thanks so much for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast.